Greetings. Welcome to Space Court. What do you foresee our conversations being like? <laughs> well, the invitation came from you, so I thought you would have more intention. I expected that Rachel might ask me about the last two episodes. You said something previously about nonviolent communication. Mm. And if this is also just a, like, how things have been going catch up, um, yeah, I'm <laughs> certainly keen to hear any details that haven't been shared so far about what it's like at Mountain View. Yeah. Why don't we start with that? Because this is definitely kind of where I left the last episode off, which was building a community and being careful about like what you ask for and being specific with that because life delivers, right? Space Court. Space Court. We invite you to join us as we explore ways to level up your relationships. Specifically, we will discuss a well-known strategy that is known as nonviolent communication. Well, I have a reaction first to what you said about being specific. We would like to introduce you to a bitch that is very well read and very well researched in all areas that fascinate her. Gemma Patterson Capricorn Sun Scorpio Moon Virgo Rising there's um, mm-hmm. a place in Denver, Colorado called the Queen City Cooperative. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's 10 adults living together. I think only two of them are related um, in the marriage sense. And then the rest of them, I think, are individuals. And the married couple has a child. One of the people who lives there, I think their name is Meredith Turk. And I, they had something on Twitter about how they function as a community. And she said, that if things aren't working, your agreements aren't specific enough. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting and telling bit. And then as I try ever more to be more and more impeccable with my words, I noticed how incredibly difficult it is to be specific. And I catch myself more often than not realizing, oh, that's not really what I mean. And that wasn't very specific. Mm. And then when I try to come up with something that is more specific, it doesn't come as readily as this broad stroke generalization that isn't even really true. (laughs) Hashtag America, perhaps. We're terrible communicators. We are terrible communicators. We would like to introduce you to a bitch that loves to talk, but doesn't love communicating her feelings regularly. Rachel Villaverde. Cancer Sun. Cancer Moon. Gemini rising. I feel like this is something that is not known or not realized. And then it's only once you actually start to engage in proper communication that you realize how stunted. I mean, I I can only speak for me personally, but even in this community that I'm building, aka my housemates, 
we're all in this space of like, we are terrible at this, but yet we want to create a very supportive space for us to learn and grow in that area and be better individual communicators. And then in essence, like collective communicators, you know, because that communication is with the self in regards to like what my needs are, what am I really trying to say? And then there's that extra layer of like, am I communicating that to another person? You know, Mm -hmm. there's a quote about communication that I really like. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that is that it has taken place. Mm -hmm. That's the one. I've gotten kind of a spidey sense recently when I've been talking with people when they talk about how, what terrible communicators other people are. So they describe a situation that they've been in and then they'll say like these people were such terrible communicators. But then I can pick up things in their behavior that I am feeling what they mean and it's different than what's coming out of their mouth or that's mm-hmm. my perception of it and mm-hmm. thinking like, hmm, how is that true for me? How is that mm-hmm. true when, when have I said that... Um, other people are communicating poorly and I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Has that ever been true? Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. It's super fascinating. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying this discovery of how terrible of a communicator I am slash how it's such a habit, this lack of communication and this desire for someone to know exactly what I'm thinking and what I want you know, based on passive aggressive behaviors, which again is part Mm -hmm. of my habit. You're a crab. You approach everything (laughs) sideways. How can it be otherwise? (laughs) Yeah, I want to be more direct is kind of the bottom line. Um, Mm. And it's hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's such a practice I'm finding, you know, to develop this skill and this new habit of identifying what it is that I need and how I feel and how to communicate that properly so that I can be supported by people that want to support that. Like remembering that we're all on the same team. You know, there's also this element of like, they're doing this because they want to, you know, and again, that's like an old habit of like assumption based on self-sabotage and the things that I'm not worthy of and all of my own like shadow work, you know. You talked about nonviolent communication before. Is that something that you wanted to talk more about? I do. I definitely do. And I feel like you kind of actually brought this to my attention back when we were talking in March when I was piecing together Activate Aloha and you were a pillar of support during that time. I remember specifically when I was putting things together about creating personal acts of aloha and how my idea of that is to really create tasks or things that nourish the personal self and the needs of that personal self. And my go-to slash knee-jerk reaction to needs is like food and shelter. And you brought to my attention very clearly like, oh, no, no, no. Have you heard of NVC? There's this entire sheet of needs that should be considered when addressing what your situation is. And you sent me that sheet and I thought, whoa. I mean, it really did blow my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so true. You know, I think it was broken into maybe like five subcategories. And then within each of those subcategories were like a list of like 15 to 20 different things, whether it be emotionally or psychologically or spiritually or physically. I've heard of NVC, nonviolent communication in some other circles in the past, primarily like social workers or friends that are therapists. But I think seeing that list really kind of drove home this like, oh, this is really useful. This is really helpful. I like this. And so it was really great to 
six months later, be starting a community with these two, um, I'll call them bitches, even though one of them is a son of a bitch, but we don't need to get into semantics. And instantly, like when they arrive to the house, they start speaking this NVC language, which I don't know, I think this is probably a good time for you to interject and like talk about the (laughs) logistics of the structure of this way of communicating. So I really want to put the caveat out there or just acknowledge that the phrase nonviolent communication is, I feel like, potentially the worst marketing ever for something that's such a useful tool. (laughs) It's just so cumbersome to even say. Mm. And then it's not really clear what that even means. Mm. And it took me so long to be interested in it. Mm. Um, I'd heard about it from so many people for so long. Oh, you have to, have you read nonviolent? Oh, you have to read that. And I finally heard about it from enough people whose opinions I respect or who know a lot of things that I really wish I knew. And a friend actually had it at her house. And, but for the same reason, I said, you read this book? What did you think? Should I read it? And she said, oh no, I just got it because everybody's talking about it. I haven't read it yet though. And I don't think I'm going to, you can have it. And I'm so glad I read it. And I, not only did I read it, I continued to read it. Once I finished, I went back and I read it over and over again, maybe like six times, just read like two or three pages a day. So I haven't read it in probably the last maybe nine months. Now the way I experience it, because I know the book so well, is almost like a daily meditation basically like, oh, hey, here's a list of ways that humans usually mess up. You don't happen to be messing up in this way in any way in your life, do you? And I like get an opportunity to say, oh, yep, sure am. (laughs) So that's a background that I feel like sheds a little light on where I'm coming from as a speaker about this. After reading it six times, after utilizing it, after revisiting it in kind of a daily meditation form, what would your title of this structure, or I don't even know what to call it. Is it a structure? Is it a, I don't know. It's a a little bit of a formula, but what undergirds the formula is not formulaic. So there's a lot of sort of self-work that goes into being able to understand the components of the formula and being able to really enact the formula. And I want to just go to easy, lazy adjectives like rock star communication, but that's clearly not (laughs) it. And then I think about like, well, really from a marketing perspective, rather than what you want to tell people what it does. And I think it really levels up your relationships, especially if you can get two people with this skill set. You don't even have to have both people, but if both people have the skill set, that's a double level up. I think this is your title, level up your relationship. Boom. I think there's a lot of people that would be receptive to this idea of, oh, I want to do that. How do I level up my relationship? You know? So it's, observations, feelings, needs, and requests. The request is optional. You don't have to be requesting anything. But the book starts out teaching the reader how our observations are usually imbued with judgments. Maybe you're having a feeling and reaction to the way that somebody came into the room. And when you say, if you said, when you come crashing into the room like a tornado... That's not actually an observation, is it? You Mm. could say, when you opened the door hard enough that it bounced off the wall and you stepped more heavily than you usually do, that is an observation of what actually happened versus you came crashing into the room like a tornado. It's it's Mm. a little bit, it's loaded. It It could be accusatory. It's definitely not a clear observation of just what was occurring. So learning to make actual observations and remove one's judgments and assignment of 
descriptive characteristics from an observation is important. Once you can observe something, then you can think about what you're feeling in reaction to that. And it doesn't, you don't have to come up with a feeling first necessarily. Sometimes I go to the need first. Marshall Rosenberg, who is the author of Nonviolent Communication, argues that we only have feelings in response to our needs. Our feelings are born out of needs. And when we feel good, it's because we have a need that's being met. Mm. And when we don't feel good, it's because we have a need that isn't being met. Mm. And so your feelings can sometimes clue you into what your needs are. Mm. And then once you know what your feeling is, or you can start with a need, then you discern why you're, what you're needing. So in the case of a person stomping into the room, one person might not care at all. If it's mm. somebody that you've been waiting to see and are excited to emotionally support, then your need might be connection and shared reality and you can't wait to hear what they have to say and what's been going on and how can I support you and help you feel seen and heard. I'm definitely more aware of my habit and pattern of not communicating and passive aggressive behavior and it's easier for me to clean this up after someone as opposed to communicate my need to be supported and having a clean community space this very people pleaser shadow part of myself that I haven't really done a lot of work with, but have observed and like, ah, but it's just easier this way. And realizing like easier is not really rewarding. Easier might be easier, but harder or going against the grain of what my condition and habit is really is producing the fruits of what I want. And thus in the end, making my entire life easier because it's really developing this underdeveloped part of myself, which addresses my real needs to be supported and heard in a space of like, this is a community space. We all want it to be clean, right? Okay, we do. Okay, so then everybody's going to do this. And we all agree that this and this and, you know, kind of outlining more structure around that. So we've had some conversations around that, but I'm still observing a lot of areas where I could certainly communicate better, it just kind of brings up parts of myself that I'm like, oh, but I don't want to be that person. And it's like, oh, oh, but I am that person. <laughs> so I have to like start to work with how do I cope with that? How do I accept that part of myself? And how do I allow that part of myself to be in existence in like actual herd and real tangible form to be accepted by others? If I don't accept that part of myself, for sure, no one else has the opportunity to even try to accept that part of myself. So yeah, it's been that kind of like, birthing part of this process where it's pretty uncomfortable, but we're settling into that rhythm of like, okay, contractions, you breathe, I push, I, you know, like working together with the mother, which mm -hmm. I'm using the analogy of birth because it's one that I'm very fond of, but I'm also using that analogy because one thing that came up in one of our conversations was this idea that in community, you have all of these parts, you have all these people, and the people's needs have to be met in order for the community to be in that thrive space. And I was feeling a lot of responsibility on the quote unquote community part, meaning like the household and the land, and feeling like that voice, that need wasn't being met, but my housemates were saying like, it's because their needs aren't met and thus the others, you know, and I was on a walk the other day and really came to the realization, like the community is the baby and we are the parents. I view community as yes, there are these inner working parts. And as a family unit, like as a, a community of family members, like if you have an infant in the space, 
I mean, undoubtedly you will need sleep, but if the baby doesn't eat, the baby dies. <laughs> so it's like this idea that yes, there is a, a severe need of sleep. Like sleep deprivation is serious. There are consequences of that, that affects the baby, that affects the household, that affects everyone. But there is this reality that the, the infant does need to eat. So whether you're sleepy or not, you have to get up and feed the baby. And I definitely find myself in this mother role. And I definitely find myself in this situation where I've partnered with two younger people and in seasons of life where I don't know that they actually have much experience outside of themselves, meaning like where there is actual responsibility outside of yourself. And you do have to, I want to use my words, carefully, but sacrifice parts of your needs for the betterment of the whole, you know, and I know it's a fine line and there's a balance and all these things, but I'm planning to bring to our next equilateral triangle, which is going to happen later today, is this concept because last time I really did feel like there was this like lack of responsibility and lack of understanding of like, yes, no, I'm in agreement. Like we all need to be maintaining and like be healthy in our space to be able to show up for the community, but kind of flipping that in the sense of like, but this community is very dependent, like has needs also, you know, and, and it's tricky because how do you arrive at the needs of a community, you know, when allegedly all of the parts are what are making it up? If you have any insights or observations on that, I'd be curious what your thoughts are. I definitely identify with the community being its own entity, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's almost like you need to have a equilateral rectangle, which is also a square, <laughs> because one side of it could be the entity that's between you all, you know? Mm. Um, and I was listening to a podcast episode recently intercepted with Jeremy Shile, Escape from the Nuclear Family. COVID-19 should provoke a rethink of how we live. Mm. So this episode, there's, they interview a person who's in an intentional community in Oakland, and he says what you said, which is that hard doesn't mean bad. Yes, it is hard. But then talk goes on to talk about how rewarding it is. Mm. Mm. I also think about the, the third entity person. I had a conversation recently with someone about what intentional, what it takes to make a successful intentional community. And they, we talked about pretty different things. I talked a lot about the interpersonal management and meeting people's needs in the community and basically taking care of this entity that is the community and how that's done and interpersonal management. Mm -hmm. And they were expecting me to say things like, oh, there should be a land with like this kind of thing on it and this sort of permaculture garden and this sort of like that sort of detail. And they expressed surprise that I hadn't really said very much about that. And I think that if you don't have the interpersonal situation worked out, that the community will collapse, like the community is dependent upon these interpersonal situations. And I used the example of when someone is unhappy with their job, it is so rare, so very rarely what the, they're actually doing and so much more often who it is that they're doing it with. Mm -hmm. Usually when someone's unsatisfied at work, it's because of a coworker or a boss. And I shared that sentiment with a friend recently, made that comment, and she said she'd just finished reading an article entitled, People Don't Quit Jobs, They Quit Bosses. Mm -hmm. So I do think that the interpersonal calculus is so important to maintaining the community. But then agreeing on what that should be is maybe unsolvable. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's also this tricky element of being in this, we're all equal, we're all this, but in reality, like 
I have a greater responsibility here because I was given this opportunity and I've invited others into it. So I also have this like a non-leader leader role slash everyone's equal, but I'm carrying all the responsibility role slash I am communicating this, which is good. And this is part of the work in our last equilateral triangle. That's what I brought up. Like, I feel like I, or I feel all of this responsibility and I have a need to be supported in that, but I don't know how you guys can feel that responsibility because it's clearly either self-imposed or it is the reality of like, it was given to me, like the keys are given to me. There's a layer there that I think a lot about that seems like the hardest thing, which is agreeing on collective needs to get the community to work for the good of the community you have to agree with each other on what the community needs and yeah i think that a lot of tension in collaborative situations comes from not agreeing on what the needs are especially if you're listening to this in english probably the world that you live in is based principally on hierarchies. Yeah. We don't have a lot of practice with this equality situation. Mm -hmm. And I definitely, I've done a lot of reading and research about the intentional community world and looking at different systems people use to divide up how work is going to go. Like at one, oh, this might've been Twin Oaks. The garden manager was retiring and was kind of burnt out. But a regular thing is that people in management or leadership, it is harder. It's not an hour for an hour. Showing up and being told what to do in the greenhouse and doing an hour planting tomato vines or stringing them up is not equal to an hour of preparing for the crew to show up and plant tomato vines and string them up. There's a different psychic drag component to that. And so how do you quantify that psychic drag and then give people who are in that position to how do you keep them from burning out basically? Yeah. Well, and I think, again, so much of that has to do with communicating, right? Real time, like, and needing to lean on others for support. Like, that's the thing about the sleep-deprived mother that has to feed the baby. Like, so feed the baby, but then go sleep and pass the baby off. And as you're saying, echoing this idea that there's this collective agreement of what the community needs, you know, and so if the community needs to be equally rested and nourished, you know, that it has to be known that one individual is lacking in any of those areas. And only the individual knows that. And only the collective knows that if the individual communicates that, which does become exhausting because you don't want to constantly be bitching about how you're tired, (laughs) but it's your reality. And I think the bitching is less, and I don't even necessarily know that it has to be bitching, but just that revisiting of ways that you can be supported and being creative in what that looks like and playing with the idea of, I don't know how, and not having the answers and being open to being vulnerable to your family, you know, to your partners, to your roommates, your housemates, and seeing how they'll show up for you or what ideas they have to bring to, or, you know, for me, that's what I'm discovering. Like, I really have to start asking for help, which I don't like to do. And I'm so used to like being failed by others. So already my habit is like, takes this person like five days, I can do this in two hours. Like, I'll just do it by myself. This is not my lesson here. This is not like the approach that I'm to be taking on these things. Like these are self-imposed narratives that can be rewritten. And this is an opportunity to rewrite those. So with pen and paper in hand and shaky writing, because I'm very resistant (laughs) to being vulnerable and to being what I perceive in the past to be like weak or incapable or incompetent is really just being open and honest and I think available to be accepted as I am, period. 
you know, in that last episode where I'm saying, like, be very specific, be very intentional and be ready to receive what you've asked for. In all actuality, what I've manifested and what I'm currently living in is extremely supportive, like really amazing, like such a such a great opportunity. And I find myself extremely terrified in this space. <laughs> mm. Like, oh my gosh, this is happening and I'm freaking out and I'm, I'm feeling all of these emotions. It's really forcing me into my feelings, which I'm in it. I'm in it and I need mm. to like, I need to work through it. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But I do like it because I know with the little bit that I've worked with, I see those fruits instantly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's enough to keep me like pushing and like, okay, okay. And, you know, I go right back to my habit, but I feel like I asked for the right things. I was specific and I did get what I wanted and it's terrifying me. And we're going to continue to do this and see what comes from it. Space Court, Space Court.